best Christmas present I ever got was when I was 12 years old. I got an 8-track stereo with my brother's full 8-tracks. The best gift I ever received for Christmas was my new set of Bolomar golf clubs. Okay, one of the best Christmas gift I ever got? Okay. 1979, uh, on December 19th, six days before Christmas, I had my first child, and that's the best Christmas present I ever got, the best Christmas I ever had. My favorite Christmas gift I ever received was my little puppy Oliver. Best thing I got for Christmas ever. I have to say it was 1982. It was actually a day late. It was a day after Christmas, and that was the very first date with my wife. And 32 years later, every Christmas, I got the same gift. It is absolutely the best gift I ever received for Christmas. That is one smart man right there. Guys, men, if you want marriage counseling from me, play that over again, okay? That is one smart guy right there. Today we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about the gift received, and and here in a few days we're going to be giving gifts, we're going to be receiving gifts, we're going to be experiencing that moment where we give someone a gift and their eyes light up, and that that pleasure that we have from giving, we're going to be able to experience that and encounter that. But when we talk about gifts and the gift received, usually there's a few characteristics that that, that in our minds it, it, we say, okay, if it meets this criteria, this is really a good gift, right? You know, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to look at a couple, about five different characteristics of what makes a gift a great gift. Now, yesterday, I was finishing up some uh, uh, Christmas shopping, and it was absolutely, I had a blast. It was absolutely fun, right? About Christmas shopping yesterday with all the rest of the people doing the same thing when you can't walk down the aisles. That I found very fun in the rain too that was really cool so anyhow so i'm wrapping up we just had a few things to get okay i just i just had a few things to get let me say that i had a few things to get but one of the things on the list was stocking stuffers for the kids okay my wife is huge into stocking stuffers okay that, that's that's part of her tradition her tradition was you know when they get up they do you know they unwrap their gifts and all this other stuff but the stocking the things that was in the stocking, for some reason, just really made her Christmas so special. I'm out shopping for our kids' stocking stuffers. In my mind, I'm like, oh, I got this one. I'm going to make my wife so stinking happy. Because this is part of her tradition. I'm going to make her so happy. And it's just buying like candies and stuff like that. Little things like that. I'm thinking, I'm going to make her so happy that when, you know buying all these stocking stuffers because this is what really makes her Christmas and she wants to do this for the kids and I'm going to come home with this bounty and she is going to take this and in my mind I swear to you I, I, in my mind she was going to she's going to tear up and cry because it was so special all the stuff that I bought right so I, I'm into this man and, and I, I hit zen I hit zen I go down this one aisle and it's all this like dollar candy and stuff that's just you know it's like all this is it, man. I mean, the whole world kind of came together for me at that particular moment. I heard angels singing, literally angels singing in the background. I am so stinking happy. I am. I'm dropping a knee tearing up in the store, okay? 
And, and, and so there I am. And I'm getting all these, I get all these little gifts, man. I get the candy canes that's filled with a bunch of runts and stuff like that or whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Well, here's what happened. Let me just show you what happened. At first, I just grabbed a couple, like did the man thing, where I just grabbed a couple boxes of candy. I'm like, this is good enough. <laughs> Stick it in the stocking. I'm done. I'm out. But then I'm thinking, no, no. Let's think through the details, Gail. You're not a detail-oriented person, but today you're going to be, okay? So I happen upon this aisle. I put back those boxes, and I'm getting all these little push-pop things with little figurines on them, all this stuff, candy canes that's made by... Um, Starburst or uh, yeah, Starburst or whatever. So there are different flavors of candy canes. I mean, I've got it all there. I am so stinking happy. I'm going to go home and my wife. I'm going to lay it out on the bed and she's going to drop a knee and start crying because she's so overwhelmed. And so the kids go to bed last night. We watch a movie with them. They go to bed last night. I bring the I bring the rest of our packages in and I'm like laying it all out there. This is for this one, this one, this one, you know. And let me break out the stocking stuffers. And I lay them out, and I'm like, this is for this, and I lay it all out, and there's like a ton of bounty there. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm beaming, and she looks at it, and she says, where's the chocolate? <laughs> I said, Ex- excuse me? Where, you didn't get any chocolate. And I'm like, I'm divorcing you right now. <laughs> because you were supposed to cry because you were so happy. And, and right now, all you're doing is devaluing me and dismissing me, and you're ruining my Christmas. And all I want you to do is leave, I want you to leave the house, okay? I want you to get away from me. I don't love you anymore, all right? So, so you know, but, but, but the point of the matter is this. In her mind, there's a checklist, right? There's certain qualities, characteristics that makes the gift the gift, right? And I failed. That's all I heard. You failed. You're a moron. You need to leave. You're going to ruin our kids' Christmas because you didn't buy any stinking chocolate. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, you are so devout. You're so devaluing. And if I could divorce you and still stay in the ministry and figure that out, I would, okay? So let's just start. Let's just put that on the table, right? So anyhow, but she has this checklist. And if it's not chocolate, it doesn't matter. It's like you didn't do anything, and so I'm crushed. But 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 it's kind of you know it's kind of like what's what we're talking about today. You know, there's certain things in our minds where we say, "Wow, this is a great gift because it met this, 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 and this." And so right now, what I want you to do in just a few seconds, uh, just real quickly, name a quality that makes a turn to the person next to you and name a quality that makes a Christmas gift a great gift. Ready? Go. Real quick. Okay, those of you that are talking need to help some of these people that are not talking because they're going to bomb it like I did yesterday. So anyhow. Okay. Let me share with you. Let me share with you a couple things. Let me share with you about five five characteristics that I think we, we hopefully we could all agree on um, that, that really makes a gift a quality Christmas gift or a, a good gift. Number one, the time and thought that goes into buying the gift. Right? I mean, when someone puts a little bit of time and thought into it, it's very apparent. It's like you really can see it, and it, and it really makes that gift that much more special. You can tell when someone again put that put some energy into it. Last week we talked about. Um, we talked about we can never outgive God and how God gives us, you know, He lays us on this gift, these gifts, and it's like, wow, how in the world do you ever give back to God at that level? And, and at the end of it, you just don't. 
But, but as we talked about this, someone approached me. I was at the Adrian campus uh, at the classy Christmas potluck pageant last week. And they approached me and he said, you know what? I really resonated with all that because I, and it, the, what she, uh, dem- what she um, shared with me actually could go with all these. But she said, you know, one time I was ex- we were exchanging gifts as friends. I have a really close friend. And we're, we were exchanging gifts. And I bought her something that was really nice. I did. But she gave me an African quilt that she had made. And she was like, I was blown out of the water. Because her expression, you know, was it, she put a lot of thought into this gift and it was so sentimental, it was so, it was so real to me. And so that's what, you know, th- there's that thought. When someone puts time and thought into something, it can go way beyond money. The value is not always about the money put into it, but the thought. The second thing is, it's, there's a second characteristic would be it strikes a chord with you, within you. It, 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 it actually resonates within you. It's when the giver really understands who you are. They understand your likes and dislikes. All of us have probably done this or received this, where we receive something we really don't resonate with at all, and you get it, and you're like, well, that person doesn't even really know me whatsoever. They gave me a coffee pot, and I don't even drink coffee. You know, like I shared with you my last week, we gave my one grandfather a box of a carton of tobacco, and he doesn't even chew tobacco. It's like, hey, you don't even really know me, right? So when someone, when they buy you a gift where it really demonstrates, it strikes that personal chord where you're like, wow, that you, I can't believe you bought. It's like they know you know that they know you, your likes, your ins and outs, your dislikes. The the next one is this. The third one is this, and it and it enhances the relationship. There's a deeper meaning behind the gift. There may be an inside story that, that both of you share that maybe the rest of the room doesn't even know about. It's the two people when you've, you've been there, like with family or gift exchanges, where people are exchanging gifts and you're unwrapping them and you're all thankful and everything. And then you've got two guys over here that are rolling on the floor. They've got tears coming out of their eyes because there's an inside story. You don't really know about it. But they just exchange gifts that enhance the relationship exponentially. It's like, holy cow, I can't believe you did that. You know what I mean? And it's like, it deepens that relationship. It may be a gift that brings tears to your mind about a loved one that's passed away since. It's that, it's, it, it's that gift that just digs deep and really goes down. It may be hand, handmade, but it's extremely heartfelt. The fourth one is this. It requires sacrifice. What, uh, uh, something, you know, one of the characteristics that makes a gift a really great gift is it, it, it may require sacrifice of the giver. It may not just be money. It doesn't have to be, exp- it can be expensive, exquisite, or hard to attain, but it might not be. It may not, it may not cost the giver a lot of money, and, 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 but it may have cost them the time and effort. I remember as I was reflecting on this, I remember my dad, when I was a child, uh, he um, worked at this uh, one summer. He he just worked these extra with just his time off, whatever he would. He worked this extra hour at this one lady we knew had this this used furniture store or something like it was like used used furniture store or whatever. But what he was doing is he was working to buy my mom a, a nice table and hutch, which actually they still have. But he was work, he was putting in all these hours. It's where that you know all these hours in so that he could afford to just absolutely surprise her and just but he was sacrificing it's where that sacrifice of love and all that kind of join together and come together that labor of love and sacrifice and and it's when you go to great lengths for someone else and you give them that gift and it's very apparent that this person sacrificed to 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 attain this gift for you and again it may not be money it may be about money but it may not be about money and you just can't believe when you receive this gift you're like Wow, I can't believe that you did that. You went to that extent for me. And then the last one, the fifth one is this. It has to have a great name. 
You know, there's, there's gifts that we get that have just really good names and it makes the gift the gift. You know, like G.I. Joe. That, back in the day, had a sturdy name to it, right? G.I. Joe. It wasn't G.I. Phil? Is that it? Yeah, Phil. That, that's nothing, is it? That's not strong. It's G.I. Joe. He's going to save the world, right? Speaking of gifts, just a tidbit of information that's absolutely useless, but fun on my part. Um, I want to share with you, you know how every year there's that one gift that everybody wants? I'm gonna, I, I, I did a re, did it on the internet, went in, typed that in, and came up with a few of these. And I'll just see if you can, some of you may remember some of these, uh, but you, you probably will, but just see if you can resonate with them. 1936. How many of you remember? What, how many of you think, what would you think the game was? And, and this is where you've got to participate, which means you've got to verbally say something where I can hear it, okay, audibly. So in 1936, what do you think? Just take a stab. What do you think the game was? Monopoly, absolutely. 1943, what do you think it was? The Slinky. Remember the Slinky? It's still around. We buy. You ever just think about what you spend money on at times? It's a spring. It's a piece of metal that goes downstairs. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, whatever. All right. Um, 1952, yeah, they're plastic. 1952, what was it? Mr. Potato Head. That's a classic, isn't it? 1959, Barbie. 1975, Cindy McEwen talked about this uh, last week, and I kind of laughed because I'm thinking, who in the world had one of these? The Pet Rock. How many of you had a Pet Rock? You had a Pet Okay. I researched a Pet Rock, and I'm not saying this about you. I researched a Pet Rock, okay? And it had a little blurb on the guy that invented it, and he had two revelations. Literally, it said this. Two revelations. He had two revelations that, that, that influenced the making of the Pet Rock. Number one, people wanted a pet that you didn't have to feed or take care of, and it would just sustain itself, right? Number two, people are morons. <laughs> Seriously, look it up. I swear to you. And the Pet Rock was birthed. Right? The Pet Rock. 1977, slime. Remember slime? Remember you'd leave it out and it'd get really sticky and uh, slime. 1978, Hungry Hungry Hippos. 1980, Rubik's Cube. How many of you could do the puzzle? How many of you bought the book? How many of you took the thing apart to put it together? How many of you took the stickers off and redid the stickers? So to, Okay. 1981, the Smurfs. 1983, I remember my dad bought one for my sister and he got trampled and he was just appalled for it. Cabbage Patch Kids, absolutely. 1985, we go from the Cabbage Patch, now we're going to dip down. The Care Bears. Yeah, okay. 1995, Beanie Babies, 2000. Take a stab. The Razor Scooter. Now that's a name. Razor Scooter, right? 2005. Xbox 360, uh, 2010, iPads, uh, 2011, Let's Rock Elmo, and then last year, 2012, uh, like smartphones and stuff like that. So, but anyhow, you, it, these gifts, you know, if you have kids, you know, some of us like will go to great extents to, to we got to get that gift. How many of you saw that? Is it Jingle All the Way with Arnold Schwarzenegger where he's going after that one gift and it's just, it's like, holy cow, that is so real. But but, but what happens is, when you give that gift, essentially like these gifts, it creates an emotion, right? 
I mean, whoever given it to you, you're like, yes! I got a can of slime! Someone's real. I got a pet rock! You know, I'm so happy. Were you that happy when you got a pet rock? Were you? That's, it just amazes me. I love the pet rock. The pet rock. Okay. But, but some of the, they, they created emotion, man. It's like people were excited and happy to get those. And some of those fit the criteria in which we talked about, right? Some of those really kind of fit some of the five criteria. But yet, all of them are obsolete. I mean, all of them are essentially obsolete. So the question becomes, obviously, this morning, is there a gift that stands the test of time? Is there a gift that actually stands the test of time and meets all the criteria? One that hasn't become, become obsolete, and obviously today we're going to talk about that because we go back to the very first Christmas, and I want us to take a look at that very first gift that was truly given um, for mankind. And in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. It is the Messiah, the Lord. And so as we look at that, let's take a look at this first gift of Christmas and let's see how it all stacks up. Let's see how Jesus, let's see how this gift stacks up to the criteria in which we, which we just listed here for the next few moments. The first one was this, time and thought. Okay? Was there time and thought that went into this? Was this just a last-minute detailed gift? As we've been talking through this series, one week we talked about how it could appear that way. When you look at this, when you look at Jesus, when you look at God becoming flesh, God becoming incarnate, and He, and he comes to Mary and Joseph, the two poor, like very poor people of the earth, of the world at that time, the, where He was born, how she had to travel, all this stuff. You look at it and you're like, really, God? And you think, you, you kind of think in a human perspective, in a logical perspective, reasoning out, you're like, couldn't God work the details out a little bit more? So the question is, was there time and thought in this? Absolutely there was time and thought. We read in the Bible that before the foundation of the world was laid, God knew that there was going to have to be a Savior to come into the world before you and I were even created. Think about that. How many of us would say, I, if we have children... I'm going to have to sacrifice my firstborn for the sake of others. And you would still go ahead and do it. God knew this. The Bible says that before the creation, before the foundation of the world was laid, God knew it was going to cost Him His Son, His one and only Son. We read about it clear back even in Genesis chapter 3, the, ver- the curse, the, and God's talking, God's talking to the serpent who is, who is a manifestation of Satan, and He's talking to Satan, He's saying, you're going to bruise His heel, but He's going to crush your head. It was the first prophetic, it was the first prophecy that was saying there's going to be a Savior coming into the world. And throughout the Old Testament, remember we were doing the series, the story, and we went clear through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and we got around the time of the birth, and I shared with you that throughout the Old Testament there are 300 messianic prophecies. Over 300 messianic prophecies that was saying there's going to be this person come into the world that's going to save mankind. The interesting thing is those prophecies were written hundreds of years before Jesus' birth. This was thought about. This, there was a lot of time and thought in this one. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. It says, But when the set time, when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. 
That's what we talked about last week. We talked about this, this concept of didami. This concept of we're receiving something that, that we should never receive. We're, 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 because we're being adopted into the family of God, we receive all these blessings of God. We are now co-heirs with Jesus Christ. We are now children. We're now saints. We're now, we're now these individuals that, that we've been reconciled with the Father. And because, just because of that... We are, because we're one of His children, we receive all these things that, that really wasn't, I mean, they were, they're given to us just because we're His child now. That, that language of adoption. There was a lot of uh, thought and time that went into this. In fact, it's an understatement to say that there wasn't. Or that there, even that there was. The second one is this. Does it strike a personal chord? Does Jesus do that for you? When you think of Jesus, those of you that have accepted this free gift of grace and salvation, when you think of Jesus, does He strike a personal chord within your life? Are you able to look in your life to say, this is absolutely strikes a personal chord with me. My life has been changed. My life has been radically transformed. Some of us have a, have a story that says, you know what, if, Jesus wouldn't have, if God wouldn't have come into my life through His Son, Jesus Christ, I don't know where I would have ended up because I was on a bad path to begin with. Some of us have those stories. And we look at it and we say, this is an extremely personal chord for me. Jesus has radically changed my life. I have this personal relationship with God now because of His Son, Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 says, for, and we just sang about this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on His shoulders, and He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. When you read down through there, and you look at those, those descriptive words, how many of us in here say, could say at one time, you know what? I needed, or I need, a counselor. And Jesus meets that need. We have a God that meets that need. I have, I have a, a need to have a mighty God within my life right now. And Jesus meets that need. How many of us say, I need an everlasting Father. I need someone to provide that stability to me. That ever, I need a Father right now. I have that need within my life. And Jesus comes in and He meets that need. He strikes that chord and meets that need. Or I need peace right now and He meets that need. Again, absolutely He strikes a chord within us. The next one is this. It enhances the relationship. It enhances the relationship of the giver and the recipient. God leaving, becoming flesh. Paul writes about this in Philippians 2 where Jesus is, 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 in his, is seated on His throne. He's there and, and He looks at all of this and He says, this isn't something that man can grasp. Man can never grasp this. The only way this could ever happen is for me to set aside some of my characteristics, for me to set aside some of my attributes, for me to set aside some of my, from, uh, my essence and literally go down and become flesh. To literally take on flesh to become one of them. And so God does that. Jesus does that. In Genesis we read about this same concept with Adam where Adam had this awesome fellowship with God before the fall, before the curse, where it says that God would walk with Adam in the cool of the evening. This incredible, close, intimate fellowship with God. And Jesus says, this can't happen unless I go down and provide a way. And so he leaves his rightful place and he walks on earth. And as he walked on earth, he was crucified, he conquers death, and now as he, as he leaves, he sends us his spirit. Why? So that his spirit himself can live inside of us. We have this rich relationship with God, with Jesus, because his spirit lives inside of us. 
The next one is this. It requires a great sacrifice. When you think about all this, Jesus becoming incarnate, this whole gift, this whole concept of gift, and you read Philippians 2 again where he says, I'm going to lay aside some of my attributes and characteristics so that I can become flesh. What did he leave behind? He left behind his rightful place to become like one of us. He left behind, he came into a world that was governed by certain laws such as time and gravity and, and, and space and all these other things that he didn't have, he wasn't governed by in heaven. He, was, he, he wasn't governed by any of these. He was, he's omnipresent. He can be anywhere at all, at all times right now. But when he came to earth, what, did he have to lay that to the side? Absolutely he did. He could no longer be omnipresent. He, could, you know, he, he, he laid aside being omnipotent to take on weakness. He, he laid aside you know, infinite space to confine space. He laid aside eternity to be governed by limited time. Jesus creating this world and in charge of this whole world actually became subjected to it. He owned everything, yet He became poor. And so for His first hours, when you just think about this, His first hours as King... His first hours as being... He, this is God in flesh. This is God in flesh. His first hours on earth is spent where? In a stable, in a feeding trough. Where are the royal linens? Where is the fanfare? Where is the hoopla? Where is all this stuff at? Instead, He lays it all to the side to become like one of us. Listen to what 1 John says about this. In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, it says, This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for His sins. And that verse is on the, on the next slide there, Mark, if you put that up. That's, again, 1 John 4, verses 9 through 10. And so, let me ask the question. Did Jesus have to sacrifice to give this gift? Absolutely He did. Absolutely. The next thing is the name of the gift. The name, we said the name of the gift is powerful. There are certain things. Rubik's Cube. That's a powerful... The Razor. That's a powerful name. Branding is about everything. It's, and, 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 and guys, some of you are sitting in here this morning as a young couple. Maybe you're, uh, in, you know, uh, you're pregnant for the first time and, or what doesn't matter if it's the first time or not, but and, and some of you that have kids can, can go back to this where you agonized somewhat over a name. Names are important, right? Some of us spent a lot of time. Some of us take the family name. Uh, you know, if name has been passed down, some of us will spend... Time. I remember when Jaden was born, our youngest, uh, two and a half years ago, um, I remember us buying like some books and someone lended us some name books and we looked online and it was like, it's like you're constantly thinking about what are we going to name him? What are we going to name him? And some for people forget, some parents forget that this name's going to stay with a person forever, right? Until they die. Have you ever heard some of the names? Not, I mean, you know, like, like for instance, someone will, like a, they have a, a girl and their last name's Kane and they'll name her Candy. I mean, you, you've heard of names like that. It, it's just, you know, it, names are very important and they stick with people. I've shared with you, you know, my name. I've shared with you that, you know, I'm, my name is Gail Leon Rubel Jr. Now that's a name, right? You know, and growing up, I didn't like it. I didn't like being, I mean, I, Gail's a girl's name, right? Gail Leon Rubel Jr. I've never heard a woman have a junior after their name, but nevertheless, people couldn't get past that. And second of all, Rubel. Rubble, Barney Rubble, let me tell you a Flintstone joke that you haven't heard for years, right? 
that's original. Never heard that one, right? And so growing up, I was like, I really don't like my name until I found out my grandmother almost named my dad Kermit. And when I heard that, not that there's anything wrong with Kermit, I just don't think I could have pulled that off. I was very happy with Gail Leon Rubel Jr. Because I know my dad would have saddled me up with that name because he doesn't care about me, right? And never did really to me. I think he was hurt by his name and he thought, I, you know what? I dealt with it. You're going to deal with it too, right? Okay. But, but names are very important. Names are very important. Think about this for a second. You know, if God wouldn't have given Mary and Joseph the name for this baby, could you imagine, hey, we're having God's son. What do we name him? <laughs> you talk about a weight. You talk about a weight of pouring across the Internet and everything. It's like, hey, what do we name God's son? But... They didn't have to deal with that. Fortunately, God took care of that. And listen to what His name meant. In Matthew chapter 1, verses 20-21, it says, But after he had considered this, meaning Joseph, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said this, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name of Jesus. Because His name will save his pe- because He will save His people from their sins. Jesus. That's a powerful name. That's, that has significant meaning. Jesus is one of those names. Jesus Christ is one of those names that, that you, can either, you can either reject it or you can accept it, but you can't ignore it. You've heard that said many times, and it's the truth. You can either accept Jesus, you can either ignore Jesus, but the one thing you can't do with Him is ignore him or accept it or or reject it but you can never ignore him his name stands his name stands it never fades we read that one day every person will bow down to his name what a powerful name jesus it's the best gift ever john 3:16 for god so loved the world that he gave his one and only son he gave the greatest gift ever to be given. It never grows old. He never grows old. He never loses quality. He, he lasts for eternity. He's never outdated. He came to die on a cross, and he didn't stay in the manger. For some of us, if that's what for some of us, and we talked about that. If you remember, if you were here that week, we talked about how easy it is to accept the baby Jesus, right? Because the baby Jesus is really non-threatening. And the baby Jesus, we get a lot of gifts on his birth. We get a lot of gifts on his birthday, right? But man, when he, comes, when he becomes old and he starts preaching, this Jesus becomes somebody different. But he didn't come to stay in the manger. He came to die on the cross. So he grows up, he overcomes temptation, he lives a perfect life, and he dies for our sins to provide us salvation. There's not much point in welcoming his arrival if you, don't, if you can't accept the rest of his life and accept his gift of salvation. As the worship team comes back, we're going to close and... I think it's very fitting that we close by, by taking communion together as a family. And so here in a few minutes, I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and, and, and uh, distribute the elements to you. But I want to share a story with you. Back in, uh, on Christmas Eve in 1865, there was a guy uh, from the States, from Philadelphia area, big guy, probably 6'6", 300-some pounds, he goes over, he's kind of burnt out, he's, kind of, he's a pastor, he's kind of burnt out, he's kind of exasperated, he's kind of, you know, his wit, kind of just really needs a break. And so he goes over to the Holy Lands and he just want, on Christmas Eve and he just wants to, 
He just wants to kind of recharge his batteries. And so while he's over there, he decides to take a horse ride out to that place where the angels would have come and have announced the birth of the Christ. The place that they called Shepherd's Field. And so he, as he goes out, and he's with some other individuals, but he's, as he goes out, he, he takes a look around, and as he begins to look around, his mind begins to drift. And he sees... As he's standing there in the starlit sky, he sees shepherds watching over their sheep. And as he looks at them, he just he can't help but just be drawn back and thinking about what it must have been like for them as they were watching and tending their sheep for this angelic host to come and say, we've got great news. God's becoming flesh. A Messiah, a Savior is going to be born this day. And so as he's taking all this in, he he mounts back up on his horse and he rides over to the place to where it's thought that Jesus was born. And even to this day, and especially if you go over there, they build a lot of churches over special places. You know, like uh, there's a place that's, like for instance, like this where they think Jesus was born. They will build a church over top of that place because they feel like it's really holy. And so as he goes into this place where they, that, uh, uh, that's believed that Jesus was born, uh, there's a church called there to this day called the Church of the Nativity. And so as he goes in, you have to stoop down for some reason. You have to stoop really down low to get in to this place to see where Jesus would have been laid. And as he experienced all this, he wrote to uh, his students back home, some of the boys and girls he taught in Sunday school class in Philadelphia. And he wrote to them and he says this, I remember standing in the old church in Bethlehem, close to the spot where Jesus was born, when the whole church was ringing hour after hour with splendid hymns of praise to God. And how again and again it seemed as if I could hear voices I knew well telling each other of the wonderful night of the Savior's birth as I heard them a year before. And I assure you, I was glad to shut my ears a while and listen to the more familiar strains that came wandering to me halfway around the world. And so there in the city of David, Jerusalem, where the psalmist of Israel at the time, David, had been inspired to write some of his most sacred songs, there were the angels that brought the good tidings of great joy. The inspiration of another carol came to the guy by the name of Philip Brooks, who wrote one of the Christmas carols that we sing, O Little Town of Bethlehem. And when you read this whole story, it's quite interesting that as he was moved and just caught up in this whole moment of this gift, this special gift, just reflecting on God becoming flesh, God becoming incarnate, and going to that place and literally having to get down and stoop to go in to observe where Jesus might have been laid. It's it's very fitting that you would have to stoop to go down and get into the earth, to go and to get into the presence of Jesus. Not walking in all brash and broad-shouldered and tall, walk in in humility and contriteness understanding this gift that God has given us 
this morning, I want us to celebrate that through communion. And as the ushers come, they're going to, what I want you to do is take the elements as they, as they give them to you, just hold on to them. Uh, and I'm going to come back up, and the, the, the worship team's going to sing a little bit here, but I'm going to come back up after we all receive our, our elements, and I want us to take communion as a family together. You do not have to be um, a member or a partner of Element Church to observe communion with us, but you do have to be a child of God, accepted the gift of grace and salvation that God is so desperately wanting to give you. Maybe you're sitting in His... And Paul tells us that if we are not a child of God and we take communion, we we can reap the implications of condemnation on our heads because it's something we need to take serious. And we're reflecting upon this great sacrifice, that he, this gift that He's given us. And so this morning, as, as they um, distribute these, maybe you're sitting in here this morning and you've never received the, the greatest gift ever given. Maybe this is the time where your heart will be open and you just re- you, you receive it. You begin, you, you receive that it's not just about salvation, but it's about being invited into this intimate relationship with God. And that your life has changed. Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're really not truth be known, your spirituality is really just about salvation. And you're missing this whole other aspect of it. That, that intimacy of it. That, that encountering God and realizing I'm a child of God. I've been created in the image of Christ. He pours out all these blessings upon me just because He loves me. Maybe today's the day you're going to say, I, you know what? I'm tired. I, I want to live my life for that. It's not just about getting my ticket punched, but it's about allowing my life to be transformed in the image of Jesus Christ. So you come, stooping, bowing down before Him and worshiping Him and praising Him. Again, I'm not to judge you. The elements are passed out. You determine if you should take it or not. But I pray that we would all just spend a few moments reflecting on that. I would ask the ushers to come forward now, if you would, and like I said, please hold your elements until they've been distributed to everybody, and then we will we will take them together as a family. As they come and begin to distribute, I'm going to close with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this gift that you give us, for this incredible expression of love. I mean, that is such an understatement. What an understatement that is. This gift that stands the test of time, this gift that transforms our lives. This gift that brings vibrancy and joy and peace and freedom. Father, as we reflect upon that today, I pray that we would just open our hearts to you. May our hearts be tipped to you and allow us to just receive this gift again and just acknowledge it. Let us just bow down before you and give you praise and glory. And it's in the power of Jesus' name that we pray.